Oh, that song is good. You know, that song is simply entitled Jesus. That's it. Jesus. You know, that's the only thing you need to know. That's the only name we need to know. Amen? There's no one like him. And I love that song. I love the the line about there is power in the name of Jesus. I don't know what it is that you need power for this morning, but do you know that there is power in the name of Jesus? And it's available to you. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Pastor Stephen. Well, good morning. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church. And uh, I got a question for you this morning. Okay. I want to know, was there a dream that you had when you were a kid that you just hoped one day would turn into a reality? Okay. I did. I had that. And for me, it began when I was about 13 years old, I started flying these little remote control airplanes. And and I I flew them, I built them, I flew them, and I crashed them, okay? And then I'd fix them up, and then I'd fly them again. And, uh, you know, eventually I I just came to this realization. I said, you know what? I want to be in one of these things. So I actually got my pilot's license when I was 17 years old. Can you imagine that? Hey, I don't know if I'd clap, you know what, just a year after I got to be a driver on the roads, can you imagine, that's scary enough, I was a pilot. I mean, talk about being armed and dangerous. My goodness. And you know, who, who do you think my first passenger was? Who do you think? God, I like that, sure. Who said mom? Yeah, it was my mom. She's not there, that's Denise, but she raised her hand and said mom. Who else would do it but mom? And then uh, through the years, I've, I've flown a lot of people. I've flown my kids. I've flown my wife. Uh, in fact, that's how I actually asked my wife to marry me. Took her in the airplane. I know, huh? She said no. <laughs> so you know what I did? She said, yes, yes, okay, okay. Just teasing. Uh, Let me give you a quick background, okay, on the flying side of my life. Uh, I graduated from San Jose State University with a degree in aviation. I got an FAA mechanics certificate to work on airplanes. Never used it. Guys, you don't want me to work on your lawnmower, okay? Trust me. Uh, Got different pilot certificates uh, from commercial to uh, flight instructor. Taught for a number of years in the airplane. I have over 5,000 hours in airplanes teaching people from beginners to advanced pilots. So that's a little another side to me. Um, but this morning, um, I want to tell you about some things that I've learned that I believe transfer over from flying to our spiritual lives, from lessons that I've learned in the cockpit to my spiritual life. And I want to talk to you specifically this morning about attitude. Oh, there's a gasp right there. How many of you uh, are pet owners? Proud pet owners, raise your hands, come on. Yeah, I know you love your, your pets, right? How many of you are cat lovers? Any cat lovers in the audience? Okay, let's just stop and pray for them right now. Lord, we just, no, I'm just kidding. I love cats. No, I don't. I, I think cats, uh, this is my opinion now, uh, have attitude. They just, you know, they have a little attitude, right? If you're not sure about that, just try to leash one up. Take it for a walk. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. That's because cats have attitude. But people have attitude, right? You don't have to look too far around you to discover that. Maybe you discovered that this morning on the drive here to church in the other car. Not you. 
This morning, I would like to, uh, I'd like to turn the mirror around and ask you and I, how is our attitude? Because I'm going to admit to you, as one of your pastors now, my attitude isn't always what it should be. Don't amen that. I'm just going to tell you right now, before somebody did that, my wife was in the last service. I thought I heard an amen from her. But she's the only one who's allowed to do that. Uh, Winston Churchill said this, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. It's true. Albert Einstein, one of the smartest men to ever live, right? He said this, weakness of attitude becomes weakness of character. I I found a lot of quotes on, on attitude. Have you heard this one before? A bad attitude is like a flat tire. You can't go anywhere until you change it. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Or how about this one? I think we all know this. Attitude is, you can answer that with the slides help, everything. Right? Say it again. Attitude is everything. One more time. Attitude is everything. And maybe you just said that this week to your kids or somebody at work or to the team as as a coach. See, much of how we view life and interpret life and see our circumstances and process the things that are happening around us has exactly to do with our perspective and our attitude. It's a little thing that can make a huge, huge difference. And I learned that in my pilot training. Now, of course, uh, it's very important that a pilot has a, a proper and good attitude about flying. Okay? But I, let me go a different direction with that. Let me tell you about the airplane's attitude. Okay? I brought a little prop here. Um, and uh, how, how many times do you get to bring a toy into preaching a message, right? Secretly, I just wanted to bring the toy. When we talk about attitude, so pretend you're student pilots in my class this morning, all right? When we talk about an airplane's attitude, we're talking about how it's pointing uh, in reference to the earth, its, its orientation, specifically the different axes on an airplane and how it references to the horizon. So, for example, uh, this motion right here is called pitch. That's our pitch. And if we roll it around here, this action here is called our bank. So if we roll to the right, we're in a right bank turn. If I go to the left, I'm in a left bank turn from my vantage point. Okay. And this is exactly how we control the plane by the airplane's attitude. There's a, there's a saying. And it's this. As the attitude goes, so goes the flight. NASA years ago put this statement out. You may have seen this before. Attitude determines altitude. That's, that's good. That's true aerodynamically and, and in life as well. Zig Ziglar, popular author, motivational speaker, he said it this way. It is your attitude, not your aptitude, that determines your altitude. See, there's, there's very much a cause and effect relationship uh, here. In flying, if I pitch up, I'm going to go up. If I pitch down, I'm going to go down. If I pitch level, then I'm going to maintain the altitude of the airplane. If I allow my wings to stay level like this, I'm going to hold my heading. I'm going to go in a straight track. But if I allow the airplane to veer a little bit off, if I allow that bank to get in there, not noticing that, we're going to start to create a different course. We're going to alter our course, and we're going to fly a different flight path. And we're not going to get to the destination that we hoped we would. And you know, that's exactly, church, what happened to the ancient Israelites. 
they found themselves in this, in this very situation. The Hebrew people that were coming out of Egypt zigzagged all across the desert for 40 years under Moses' leadership. Grumbling, complaining, doubting God's power, mocking his provision, just having these ungrateful attitudes. And they never reached their destination, the promised land, most of them. Look at what it says in uh, Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 1. You have it in your notes, also on the screen. It says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. When the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Not a good day. Right? What happened? God's anger. What, why? Because of a bad attitude. Then going down to verse 4, it says, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. There was those that came from Egypt with Israel. That's what they're talking about there. And it says, And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, and I love this little list here. And the, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And whew, now our strength is dried up. And there's nothing at all to look at but this stupid manna. All right, that's, that, I added stupid, okay? Scripture didn't say that. But that's what they were thinking. That's what the attitude was here. Manna was God's provision for food. It was miraculous food that God supplied every day with the dew on the ground. But can you imagine the, the whiny voice of a five-year-old, you know, kind of, Man, again? Man, I, I want the leeks and the melons and the God. You know, I remember the Cliff Bars, and I remember the pistachio nuts and the, you know, the Yoplait yogurts and oh, the ice cream. You know, now now look at this. Now it's just this ain't no promised land. This is promised bland. It's this cardboard fiesta every day. Maybe they started chanting, uh, uh, you know, no more manna. We want banana. I don't know. I don't know. But the reality was this. God was bringing them on a journey. He, he wasn't just bringing them to a promised land. He was preparing them for a promised land. And manna was part of that, that preparation. It was part of the appetizer tray. It was part of the test tray. It was not the main dish. But they blew it with a bad attitude time and time and time again. And before we say, dumb Israelites, why, why don't they ever get it? I wonder how many times we do it. Now, how many times is our attitude not pointing in the right direction? How many times has our pitch or bank been just a little bit off? You know, medical studies show that there is a direct link between your attitude and your health. In fact, in the, in the 1980s, they did extensive research, and, and they found out that there was a very positive link with a positive attitude and fighting off disease, including cancer. It's true. And that's why Proverbs 17.22 says, a joyful heart is what? Good medicine. You got it. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Folks, negativity is bad. And, you know, none of us wakes up in the morning and goes, you know, I'm just going to become a negative person one day. Yes. 
or, or I'm just going to be really negative today. No. But when we allow ourselves to slip into negativity, it has a ripple effect. It weighs us down, and it ripples right on into our day, into our relationships, and yes, our health. So I've identified five areas this morning that if we're not careful, we can slip into negativity and have a negative attitude. It's on the back of your outline, five fill-ins there, share quickly. And the first one is this, personal negativity. Personal negativity. Last service, somebody gasped right when I said that. This is where we pull out the cannons and we start attacking ourselves. You know, maybe it's because of our past mistakes and failures. Maybe it's because we really have had a hard time forgiving ourselves for what we've done. Maybe it's because of our shame or our mistakes. And we say things like, I'm such a failure. Why can't I do anything right? I'm not lovable. I don't love my body. I don't like my hair. I wish I had hair. You know, and, and it goes from these little tiny jabs that we can take on ourselves to these heavier cutting comments that we speak to ourselves and about ourselves. Personal negativity. Another form of negativity can be relational negativity. It's where we turn the cannons around and point them at others. Somebody says, yeah, my boss, hmm, he's a winner. Winner of the biggest jerk award, you know. Whoa, we can get a little bit judgmental. We may not say it, but we might think it. Where we're hard on people, we tear them down or we label them. Or in the privacy of our own minds, we just think negative thoughts toward people instead of being people of grace. We're short on grace. Another form of negativity is circumstantial negativity. Circumstantial. If you don't know how to spell that, I didn't. Thank God for spell check. That should be right. This is how you view your life and your circumstances, what's happening or not happening to you. You know, the single person might say, oh, you know, if only I was married, I'd be happy. And the married person says, if only I wasn't married, I'd be happy. Or, you know, if, if, if somehow I could get a different job, or if I made more money, or if I had a bigger house, or if I had a car that actually worked, and we go up and down on this roller coaster ride because we're putting our happiness in our happenings, and we're not happy. Another form of negativity can be spiritual negativity. Spiritual negativity, what's that? Well, you know, it can be many different things, but, but oftentimes I believe it comes from a misunderstanding or, or, or a lack of knowledge of, of God and who he is and his character and how he works. You know, pastor, I go to church. I, I drop something in the offering. So why doesn't God answer my prayer? I don't know. Maybe God really doesn't love me. Maybe I'm not good enough for him. Maybe if I was better, I could get God's attention. Maybe he really can't forgive me because of what I've done. And we start trading truth for lie. Spiritual negativity. And the last one is what I want to call nitpicky negativity. Uh-oh. Nitpicky negativity. Years ago, I saw a book, a little tiny book. It was called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Anybody seen that? Read that? It's a good book, right? And it's pretty much all small, it says in parentheses. It, it could be 
that you're driving, maybe it was this morning, you're driving behind somebody who's driving really slow. And you're in a hurry. Or, or maybe it's the light turns green and nobody's moving. And you find the Christian horn. Right? Here's one of my favorites. AT&T. I don't know if anybody works here, uh, AT&T here, but just forgive me for a moment. Um, 40 minutes is too long with AT&T. And I'm not even talking to a real person yet. Amen. <laughs> or maybe, maybe it's the empty milk carton that goes back into the fridge or the empty cereal box that goes back into the pantry or your shampoo that comes out of your shower and never finds its way back. I'm talking hypothetically, folks, here. Understand. <laughs> it's so easy to lose perspective, isn't it? It is. Just on the smallest of things. But it's the smallest heading change in an airplane that it goes unnoticed, it starts to divert your course, and you start going in a direction you didn't want to go. We need to pay attention to our attitude because it's what frustrated God with the Israelites, sent them into a holding pattern in the desert for 40 years because of it. Someone once said this, you don't fail a test with God, you just keep taking it over again until you pass. I like that. It's true. Let me read an article that uh, I saw last week from Chuck Swindoll. This has been out. You may have seen it before. Great author, speaker. It's entitled Attitude. So perfect. Perfect. Here's what he says. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures or successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding our attitude that we will embrace for that day. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that's our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Last week, uh, Pastor Brad began a new series. We began a new series uh, here on what it means to be part of a church community. And he did a fantastic, fantastic job. Uh, one of the things he did was insert a funny clip, uh, a movie clip, Me Church. If you were here, you saw that, right? It was hilarious, right? Valet parking, five-minute messages, which, by the way, are going to start next week with Pastor Brad. Okay? Sorry, not today. You know what? If we're not careful, see, we have an attitude toward church. And if we're not careful, we can treat church like a menu option at a restaurant. What, what do I want today? You know, what, are you surfing through Netflix? Um, what movie do I want to watch? What do I want? That's me, church. That's me, church. You know what church really is? Us, church us church it's community first the vertical community with the father and then second horizontal community with one another 
And so often we, 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 we get the first, but we miss the second. Can I encourage you today, somebody here today, if you come to church and you leave lonely, that's not what God intended church to be. It's, it's church is much more than that. It's an all play. It's everybody's in the game. There is nobody on the sidelines or on the bench. We're all in. And so I want to echo with Pastor Brad. I hope that you will come. If you're not a member yet, I hope that you will come to our Discover FBC dinner uh, on the 13th, just a couple weeks from today, and just learn more about what does it mean to be in a community like this? Not just coming to get, but what does it mean to really live life in community, the way God intended, in the way God desires it to be. And I'm going to tell you, when we get together, what God can do, unbelievable, unbelievable. Partner with us, would you? If you're not a member, I sure hope that you will come because we want to do some great things for God. But here's a question. What's your attitude toward church? What's your attitude toward church? Well, I love the donut holes. Man, they are so good. Well, good. I'm glad you like those donut holes. I do think if we ever got rid of donut holes, we'd have a problem on our hands here at First Baptist Church. But think about it. What is your attitude toward church? You know, is church something that that, that you do out of obligation, out of a checkbox, or is it a, is it a joy? It is, a, is it a weekly countdown? You know, do you come to get or to give? Do you, do you look at your watch, you know, waiting for the end of the service when, when Pastor Derek's preaching, especially? Or are you waiting on the presence of God to show up? See, two people can be in the same service and have a totally different reaction. What's your attitude toward church? Pastor Brad last week talked about uh, country club memberships. Now, I don't have one of those. But what I do have is I have a gym membership. Okay? I belong to a local gym here in town that um, I only pay 10 bucks a month. 10 bucks, that's a good deal. And I get 24-7 unlimited access to the free weights and the machines. And, and they have specialized rooms. They have a room just for abs. You can tell I work in that room. I've got a six-pack here of Krispy Kremes. You know what I did, though? I upgraded. I did. I upgraded recently to the Platinum Package or whatever it is. I don't know what they call it. But I went up $10 a month. And you know what I get now? I get the massage chairs. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, my goodness. These things are heavenly. I hope they do have them in heaven. I think they burn calories. But... People think I go to the gym? No. I'm going to the massage chair. They're awesome. And, oh, and they also have a, 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 a table that you can lay down on. It shoots high-pressure water. It's like a water jet thing. Pressure on your back and just goes through. Oh, talk about de-stressing. It's awesome. You guys want that right now, don't you? You know what? Church membership isn't like that. Church membership is not about the perks and the privileges and what you get. Church membership turns that whole thing upside down, and it says, what can you give? How can you be part of a community to make a difference, a lasting difference? If, if church were a ship, we would be a battleship, not a cruise ship. 
So if you're not a member yet, I certainly do hope that you will come to our membership dinner, Discover FBC, in a couple of weeks. You can sign up today. Let me take you to the inside of a cockpit, okay? I just love this picture. I just like staring at it, actually. Um, but that's, yeah, that is a wow factor, right? I mean, an airline cockpit is, is amazing. It's incredibly complex. There's all these instruments in there. But listen, one instrument every cockpit has, big plane, small plane, is this one right here. You know what it's called? An attitude indicator. I am not kidding. That's the name of it, attitude indicator. And you can see, if you look there, a white line horizontally. That represents the horizon. The blue represents the sky. The black part is the ground. There's a little miniature wing there in yellow. And when we pitch up and pitch down, that's represented right there on that instrument. If you bank left or bank right, it's represented on that instrument. This is giving us a direct indication of pitch and bank. And especially when you're a pilot and you're in the clouds and you can't see very well, this is the cornerstone instrument. This is your go-to. When the natural horizon's not available, we're using the attitude indicator inside the cockpit. And the instrument is placed right in the center of the instrument cluster. And in the pilot scan, we call it a scan, that means how they move their eyes around and monitor everything. It's the center of the pilot scan. So when you go away from it, you come right back to it. If you leave it over here, you're coming right back to it again. If you do your radios, you're coming right back to the attitude indicator. You don't leave it for long. Usually two to three seconds, you're back to the attitude indicator. And for the Christian, I thought about this. I wonder, what is our attitude indicator? What mirrors to us the pitch and bank of our hearts? Church, it's this. It's God's word. Amen? This is his attitude indicator. And listen, if we'll hold it up, if we'll put it in front of our lives where we can see it and let it examine us, it will tell us if we're banking left or we're banking right, we're going up or we're going down. And if we'll not only read it, but we'll let it read us. Wow. And if we'll come back to it frequently, daily. Wow. What God will do in our lives. I want to tell you about something else that's upcoming. Next Sunday, you're going to have a chance. Pastor Brad talked about uh, Next Step Sunday. You'll have a chance to sign up for our fall Bible study. Okay, we call it our all-in church-wide series. We are always excited about this. Every time this comes around, and uh, what it, we do is we begin on a Sunday morning with Pastor Brad's message. And he will share some scriptures and share a theme. And then we'll take that into a daily devotional read, personally. And then we come together once a week in community, in smaller communities, smaller clusters. We call them community groups. They're small groups of people so that we can kind of grow together and we can learn together and we can journey in life together. And I hope that you will get in one if you've never been in one. It's seven weeks. We're also looking for facilitators, people who will help us be discussion starters and discussion leaders in those groups. And if you would like to do that, you can talk to me, you can talk to Pastor Susie, talk to Pastor Brad. We would love for you to do that. But we're excited because last year we took the walk through the Old Testament. This year we're taking the walk through the New Testament. And so, folks, you don't want to miss this. Seven weeks, would you take the walk? Take the walk with us. This is God's attitude indicator. And we need to be looking at it. We need to read it. We need to understand it and build our lives on it. Amen? It's the only foundation. 
Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Here's how Jesus put it. In Matthew chapter 7, he said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise, like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, it's not if, but when the storms of life come, right? And that is when you will know what you're standing on. I pray that it's rock and not sand. You know, in this ver- I chose the NIV here because the NIV used the word crash. Some of you may have heard, I'm sure a lot of us, about a famous plane crash that happened in 1999, JFK Jr. And, you know, son of President uh, JFK, uh, he was a pilot. He had several hundred hours. He had a beautiful Piper Saratoga airplane. Um, and he was flying near uh, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, with his wife and, and her sister. Um, now, there are two types of flying. There's a visual flyer, which is a, a pilot who needs to be looking out of the airplane, looking at the horizon, the natural horizon, and judging all those pitch and bank movements by that. And then there's an instrument pilot. That's a grade up. And the instrument pilot can fly through weather, clouds, you know, poor visibility and those kind of things because they're looking at their instruments, namely the attitude indicator. Now, JFK Jr. was, was a visual flyer, and the trip was planned during the day. Well, it got delayed, and so they ended up flying at night, and he's flying at night out over the ocean. A part of his route took him out over the ocean, and imagine that for a second, flying out over the ocean at night, lack of lights, you can't see, everything's black, and, and it, it really becomes a black abyss because when you're over the sea at that time as well, the temperature starts dropping, mist begins to formulate, and fog is on the way. And so his visibility was reducing as well. He's in a very scary place. And he ended up getting what we call spatial disorientation. That's when you cannot tell up from down, you cannot tell left from right, you're confused. You're getting mixed signals and strange feelings in your body about what's really going on. And he crashed. He crashed his airplane into the sea at a rate of more than 5,000 feet per minute. Now, just to give you a little context, a normal rate of descent in a plane is around 500 feet per minute. Tragic. Absolutely tragic. And the big question, of course, is why? You know, why did he crash? What caused it? The report said, failure to maintain a positive attitude of the airplane. Failure to look at his instruments, to look at his number one instrument, the attitude indicator. He had been given emergency training to know how to do that, to get out of a bad spot. That instrument will save your bacon. And I've been in the clouds before. It looks like this. And it's, it's not black, but it's white, and it's, it's complete whiteout. 
And if you're claustrophobic, this is not good for you. And, you know, I literally can tell you that I've had several, several times in an airplane where I felt like I was turning, but I wasn't. Or I was turning, but I didn't think I was. Your, your, your brain can f- play funny tricks on you. And you have to go back to your instrument because you can't go by how you feel. If you go by how you feel, you're going to crash. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man. that feels right, but its end is the way to death. See, feelings are never the thing to go by, church. Never the thing to go by. JFK Jr. was trying to fly his airplane in that critical time by, in response to how he felt. And it didn't work by what seemed right, but it wasn't right. He needed to trust in his instruments, especially when he couldn't see. And Paul says to us, he says, you know what? Listen, we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen? And, and folks, there's storms that are, are, you've been through, I'm sure, and they're coming as well. Storms come, blackouts will come, but where's your focus? Where's your focus? What are you putting your trust in? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my favorites. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And when, when the horizon goes black, don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Oh, Lord, help us. As I close today, um, I love Paul's word to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 2. He says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. You know, and I'm going to read that in just a minute. But, but, but it struck me as I read that first line, I thought, wait, stop here. What was Christ's attitude? What was Jesus' attitude? Well, when he wanted his own way. And he had a different plan or wanted a different plan than God the Father. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. When he encountered impossible circumstances, his response, his attitude was, with God, all things are possible. When he was dealt with demonic oppression and temptation, his attitude was God is greater. When he led his disciples, his attitude was, let me wash your feet. When he saw the ill and the afflicted, his attitude was, rise and walk. When he faced the storm, his attitude was, peace be still. When he faced lack and multitudes and multitudes of needs, his attitude was, the Lord will provide. When he faced his executioners, his attitude was, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. No wonder Paul says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He gave up his preferences. And he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The incredible thing, church, 
is that when we finally see that we're spinning, that we're out of control, that we're in fact crashing, I'm thinking of Peter, you know, when he stepped out of the boat and did this amazing thing. He's walking on the water, but he, he got his eyes, he, he lost his focus on Jesus and he got his focus on the issues and the problems and the winds and the waves. He started to sink. He started to crash. But who was right there for him? Jesus. Jesus is there to save us. And see, Jesus took the crash for us. Jesus became the crash. He said, you don't have to, because I've already crashed for you. My life for yours. My fully alive, abundant life for your crashing life. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. He crashed our crash. Amen. Hallelujah. There's a song um, by Casting Crowns, Christian music group, uh, called East to West. I love the lyrics in that song, and I just want to read you just a little portion of it. Um, It says in there, In the arms of your mercy I find rest. Because you know just how far the east is from the west. And the Bible, that's biblical. The Bible talks about our transgressions are that far removed. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far transgressions have been removed. And it says, from one scarred hand to another. I want my attitude to be that of Jesus Christ. How about you? I want to have the mind of Christ. And I don't always. But with his Holy Spirit and his attitude indicator, he'll transform us into more and more the likeness of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Father, we're in awe of you today. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. That you're a good, good Father. Lord, while we were crashing, you came for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died the death that I deserved, that was meant for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming for me. Thank you, Lord, for your love is so perfect. And folks, I I don't want to take anything for granted this morning. Maybe there's somebody here, I don't know who that might be, but maybe it's somebody who has not yet recognized Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You haven't made that decision yet. You've been trying, and maybe you've been trying to fly on your own, but you realize it's not working, it hasn't worked. And you're ready to turn the keys over to Christ. More than being your co-pilot, he wants to be your captain. And he'll take the wheel. And if that's you today, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? If you would just be brave for a moment. Nobody's looking. I just want to pray for you. Anywhere in this place. Thank you. Praise God. Anybody else? Thank you. See that. Hallelujah. Anybody else? It's about a new life. We trade our old life 
for his life. The Bible says you become a new creation. If you raised your hand, or if you didn't, but you're ready, I want you just in the quietness of your, of your own heart, repeat after me this prayer. Dear Jesus, I recognize that I've been doing things on my own. I recognize that I've been making mistakes. I recognize that I've sinned against you. Lord, I'm a sinner. And I've been crashing. Today, I change that. I decide to follow you. I accept you today as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want you to be my pilot. I want you to call the shots. I want to follow you, Jesus Christ. Amen.